Hello, all ye travel and globe mobility professionals, and welcome to the first CIBT Newland Chase podcast. I'm your host, Ray Rackham, and let's get ready to explore the open world. But what is the open world podcast, you may be asking? Well, to stop the inevitable scratching of heads, I'm here to give a short bracy of what you might expect as we venture into exploring the ever-changing world of travel and immigration. As Senior Vice President of Thought Leadership, Advocacy and Public Policy at CIBT Newland Chase, it fell to me to escape, what should we say, the hustle and bustle of the physical office, put down my favourite Blackwing 602 pencil, abandon my typewriter and join you in this, the 21st century (laughs) and a world of podcasting. We're streaming from our recording studio nestled along the River Thames in London and finding our way into your ears as you walk the dogs, do the dishes, or go for that morning walk we've all been promising ourselves we'll do more often. Yes, the Open World podcast aims to give you useful insights into travel and immigration news, exciting thought leadership on matters that matter most to us and our industry, and hopefully a smile or two along the way. Now, I'm under strict instruction to keep our podcasts to no more than 30 minutes, including introductions, the discussion, and all those important musical interludes that link one session to another. But if anyone knows me, you might know that once I get going, that 30-minute clock might need to be adjusted. But I can attest, once we start... We are going to explore the coming weeks and months with you, professionals in the global mobility and travel space, and give you some pause for thought, and hopefully some interesting things to discuss when we meet in the real world. But who are CIBT Newland Chase? We are the leading global provider of immigration and visa services for corporations and individuals alike. With over 1,900 expert immigration and visa professionals, attorneys, and qualified migration consultants, we're located in over 60 offices in 27 countries. With 30 years of experience, we are the primary service provider to 75% of Fortune 500 companies. We offer a comprehensive suite of services under two primary brands, Newland Chase, focused on global immigration and corporate advisory services, and CIBT Visas, the market leader for business and other travel visa services worldwide. Our vision is to simplify the journey, to bridge people, cultures and businesses, and to open the world. Hence, the Open World Podcast. Now, I've listened to many a podcast in my time, admittedly mostly around world cinema of the 1950s and the musicals that have graced the Broadway stage. But one thing I've noticed is that successful podcasters listen to their audiences. So, as we venture into this new way of exploring the open world, I want to invite you, our listeners, to come direct to me with feedback, suggestions for topics you might want to discuss, and if you're brave enough, even volunteer to join me in one of our recording sessions. We want our time with you to be as productive as it can be, as informative as we can make it, but most of all, a great listen. So please, listeners, do not be afraid to get in touch with your feedback, your opinions and insights and your suggestions. So, drum roll, please. We're on our way.
Now, I'm also reliably informed that good podcasts also have to have some form of structure. (laughs) Now, I can't guarantee anything, but we need to be able to enable you as the listener to know what to expect and when. So our first section of the podcast will always be things to think about in the coming months. While successful travel and mobility programs plan often in half-year models or even three-year strategies, the world of immigration and travel changes with such alarming regularity that it's always a good idea to keep an eye on the near horizon. So let's have a look structurally at the near horizon. Now, we're going to start with the United States. Earlier in the year, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, which is a division of the Department of Homeland Security, posted a proposed rule in the Federal Register that would significantly increase immigration filing fees. The rule aims to help the agency offset operational costs, improve customer service operations, and counter ongoing impacts on strained resources – The current fee schedule dates back to 2016, and it's believed that the revenue raised from those 2016 fees, which primarily fund the agency, is insufficient to cover the operating costs. So it's hardly surprising that the change was coming. The cost impact of the new fee structure is quite significant, however, and many applicants will face steep fee increases. But for employers, it really is time to think about factoring in increased spend in 2024 budgets and identify ways to mitigate the unintended consequences that significant increases in fees might bring on your talent strategies. Now, we're going to discuss in a separate podcast, budgeting, later on in this season. So watch out for more news on that podcast. In another move that employers will need to factor in increased costs, the government of New Zealand has increased the medium wage used to calculate visa work applications, which will come into effect in February 2024. Currently, the medium wage used in visa calculations is approximately 62,000 New Zealand dollars. It's about, I think, let me just check my notes. It's 61,683 New Zealand dollars per year. But by February next year, this will increase to, accurately, I think, 65,749 New Zealand dollars per year. And that represents an almost 7% increase. A chief concern about the change in medium wage is companies looking to hire foreign nationals under work visas will now face increased labour costs. And now for some good news on the near horizon, we travel to China. In moves to streamline the visa application process and to attract more international visitors, the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs recently announced two changes. These changes are designed to simplify the visa application process for foreigners. The first change is that applicants are now only required to list their travel history for the past year rather than for the past five years. And the second change, in the education section of the application, applicants now only need to list the highest level of education they've achieved, rather than providing the complete history that they used to. Previously, at the end of August, China also dropped the requirement for visitors to supply the results of COVID-19 tests before entry, in an attempt, we think, to increase the number of foreign visitors to China. 
Now, this is very welcome news from a country that hadn't reopened after the pandemic until earlier this year. And showing appetite to ease applicant requirements to help attract visitors is absolutely something that we should all applaud. Those were the three things to think about in mobility and travel programmes on the near horizon. At CIBT Newland Chase, we're reviewing, I think, hundreds of immigration, visa and other law procedural changes and rules, which we share with our clients on weekly and quarterly intervals. As our world continues to turn on such a fluctuating access, it really is important for travel and mobility professionals to keep an eye on the top changes that impact the now so we can better plan for tomorrow and the then or the beyond check out our latest travel and immigration updates on our website one of the things i'm most excited about with podcasting and i'm sure you can agree i'm clearly new to this (laughs) is that it enables me to interact with other people Yes, listener, I am casting aside my innate fear of social interaction, and it's now time to hear a little less from me and a little more from our invited guest. Carsten Osberg is Chief Strategy Officer at CIBT Visas. Carsten joined CIBT in 2018 as Managing Director of the Nordic Region and has led CIBT in different senior leadership capacities throughout Europe. Prior to CIBT, Carson held roles in the travel and logistics industry and is a military veteran with the Danish Army. Carson is fluent in four languages and splits his time between Denmark, Sweden and the UAE. Carson, you've had a fascinating career today. Can you tell me a little bit more about your current role as Chief Strategy Officer at CIBT Visas? Well, I think the short answer would be that I'm trying to look into the crystal ball. <laughs> but, the, but the official answer is more that I'm responsible for driving growth and expansion of the brand across the business. Right. I'm also acting as the central point for aligning and coordinating our priorities, developing, executing a highly competitive business strategy that would meet current and future market needs, hence my crystal ball comment, promote financial health and growth, and also strengthen the company's travel services brand. Okay, so like this is a relatively new appointment for you. It is. It's just over nine months into the role. Yeah, and how how are those nine months treating you? Well, we've been very busy this year, <laughs> yeah. and I keep saying that every year. But at the beginning of the year, China reopened its borders. Yeah. And obviously that came with quite short notice, and we were very busy in the beginning to facilitate visa applications for our, our clients. That took up, I would say, the first quarter or so of the year. Yeah. The remainder of the year, we've had time to focus more on the the future. I mean, that seems to be the way in which we as an industry have to often react to things that happen immediately. Because a lot of that crystal ball gazing last year was, when is China going to reopen? Yeah. And we didn't get a huge amount of notice. We didn't. And and the notice came, I think it was on Boxing Day. Yeah. So it wasn't the greatest timing, but it is what it is. And, And I've been working almost 17 years in this industry. Yeah. And as a profession in this industry, uh, working for a company like CABT, we're very, de- not depending, depending and not depending, but we're definitely, everything that happens without of our control is often affecting our strategy. Yep, absolutely. So to be chief strategic officer or chief strategy officer of the organization, 
you have to be adaptable and you have to be flexible and you have to change course sometimes in a way that maybe in other industries you don't have to do as often. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So you also sit on various travel and advisory boards, such as the, I think it's the Swedish Business Travel Association and the the equivalent in Switzerland, the, what's the? It's called the Association of Swiss Travel Management. That's it. Yeah. Um, and, and you obviously, I've seen you at every industry event, be it the Global Business Travel Association or the Business Travel Shows, and you speak, you know, with frequency at all of these things. What would you say is the most talked about subject of 2023? And I implore you, please let it not be COVID. Right. I'll avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the past few years, the main subject of a conversation has often been about, most often about, when do we get to travel again? When are so the like borders the open? the return to travel debate. Yeah, return yeah, yeah. to travel was really a, uh, one of the headlines you could read on most articles. Mm. And now it's more like travel is back. We all know that. But how can we get back to travel with a more more speed and agility? So I, I take it by that you're referring to the great news from GBTA this summer that global business travel spending is expected to surpass 19 levels in 2024, two years earlier than we previously forecast. Exactly that. But what's happening is a volume increase. Right. And, and more international travelers are, are making their way around the world. Visa processing delay seems to be at the top of the agenda with almost everyone you speak to. Yeah. As they slow down that all important movement of people and hinder a true return to travel back to pre-pandemic levels. I didn't say the C word, but I said... It's a, no, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll say pre-pandemic right. whenever we mention the, the, the C word. But, yeah. but, I, but actually, you make a really good point that although spending forecast looks really healthy... And we did celebrate that in August. I think I might have had a beer or two after one of the sessions. But but actually, spending doesn't necessarily mean volume return because right. everything's getting more expensive. It is. And we, we felt that ourselves when we look at our expenses. So it's so it's really it's really encouraging to see that volume is returning in almost in tandem with increasing in spend. But but then if that volume isn't being met by kind of appropriate processing times, it then leads to disruption and, you know, dare I say, chaos in, in some in some areas as Correct. well. Yeah. Could, you, could you give me some examples of where this is really having an impact? Well, we've seen delays increasing almost worldwide. Right. Um, some countries are faring much better than others, but as volumes have increased and appointments become sought after commodities, We've witnessed issues in, in the US and Germany, Schengen. So uh, as Schengen. Schengen. Schengen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. It's almost like you read my mind. Some commentators were saying that the Schengen zone gave us, I think it was called another summer of discontent. How true do you think that is a summation of what we saw this summer? Well, visa processing delays amongst uh, among the 27 European nations that comprise the Schengen area have resulted in a, in a significant rise in, in pending applications this summer with thousands of missed business trips and yeah. vacations and a, and a shift away from Schengen to other areas of business or tourist interest, for example, Southeast Asia. All right. Some travel operators have attributed delays to visa processing companies such as VFS Global or BLS International. Right. Others said the European embassies failed to anticipate the growing demand among citizens of countries that need a Schengen visa to travel abroad. VFS said fraudulent attempts are being made to block appointments by third-party entities using 
human intervention as well as bots leading to a slowdown and almost impossibility of getting appointment slots for upcoming travel. But, I mean, surely we expected that. I mean, Schengen visas have always been the headache of the summer year on year, haven't they? Yes, they have. I mean, but it's not just happening this summer, which has always been a busy period for Schengen visa applications. Right. An example, many Indian nationals, in particular Juraratis, are having to rethink Diwali holiday plans, as continued delays in getting Schengen visa appointments mean many are either not traveling to Europe or rethinking their travel plans to other destinations. Okay. Schengen visa delays also led to a surge in UAE staycations during the Eid al-Adha holiday earlier in the year. And whilst that does boost domestic tourism, it doesn't really help with the reset of travel to pre-pandemic levels. That kind of reset to international travel, crossing over borders, enjoying different cultures. It's almost like visa processing delays are keeping people at home or, as you say, kind of choosing alternate destinations. Right. What is the EU doing about this? Well, that's a complex question because... The, the EU cannot solve the issue alone. It right. would need all 27 member states to rethink how they process together with a better digitalized system. That's an enormous disparity today where one member state may take, let's say, 30 days to process a visa. Another might have a two to three month wait time to get an appointment for certain nationals. And we see that a lot of our clients are asking if we can speed that up. Yeah, But there are certain quotas also, which is then making some of those... Um, agencies as VFS and BLS, you know, capped at a certain level. So it's not as easy as saying, right, we're just going to expedite this. No, there it's are, not like a... Loads if, of things going on. If it was, if it was a, a normal company that was selling a commodity, for instance, yeah, they would try to increase the production, right? And then if it was a furniture company selling chairs, they would try to produce more chairs quicker. But you can't really do that this, in this sense. So we have seen news this year that the EU has laid plans to digitize the Schengen C visa process. And... Streamlining is one of the reasons it's doing so, but that will take some time. And I mean, that digitization debate we're seeing worldwide, digital platforms are kind of popping up all over the world, but it takes time, doesn't it? And, it does. Yeah. And with the recent news that the introduction of ETIAS um, being delayed possibly into 2025? For whichever uh, number of times now, yes, it's uh, currently, uh, I think they're talking about May 25 at the moment. I mean, and that with together with the entry exit system in the EU, I'm I'm imagining that digitization of Schengen is going to have to come beyond that, so kind of be deprioritized for a while. Well, yeah, yeah. the ETS and the EU's entry exit systems are are clear priorities at the moment. Yeah. So you may have a point. Okay, so Schengen is a good example of why processing delays happen during peak seasons and periods of high volumes. But more broadly, why do we have such backlogs which lead to these lengthy periods of delay for visa applicants? Well, it's a complex tapestry of understaffing, struggles to meet volumes in the return of travel as, as people really want to get back yep. to normal. Yep. Flights are available. Okay, it, it took a little bit of time to build up the same capacity and it's not yet there, but almost. Technical issues, external events such as industrial disputes at a consular or embassy level. Yep. Applications being submitted that are incorrect or do not complete all sections and therefore will slow down the process further. Also, a number of embassies around the world are employing their own staff from whatever country they're representing. So actually, the immigration process to get those staff members into another country 
it's is actually taking ironically its time as delayed. well. Yes. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. I mean, we saw evidence of Germany looking to counter these issues by refusing appeals on visa rejections for Chinese, Moroccan and Turkish nationals earlier in the summer, for example. Yes, that was a pilot scheme that encouraged people rather than uh, appeal a visa refusal to submit a fresh application and giving greater details on the rejection so that could make, let's say, a better application next time. Right. Germany is also rethinking, actually, policies for more longer-term migrants and reforms to the Skilled Worker Immigration Act, which will make it easier for skilled workers from outside of the EU to move and work so, in Germany. So there's like a lot of movement going on in Germany, both for visitors going into Germany and for kind of long-stay workers who want to relocate to Germany as well. I mean, it leads me to ask, what are other governments doing? You know, are they doing anything along these lines to counter what, in many cases, has been quite unconscionable delays? Yes. I mean, draft U.S. bipartisan legislation was submitted this summer right. to improve visa processing times in the U.S. The Visa Processing Improvement Act, as it's called, proposes to improve visa processing within the U.S. Departments of State's Bureau of Consular Affairs. That's a long title there. <laughs> yes. In a number of important ways. For example, in increasing consular office flexibility and capacity, uh, it could also be improving transparency and, and, and accountability, revising in-person interview waiver availability, and improving the service experience. But I think, I mean, the interesting thing about the Visa Processing Improvement Act is that it was bipartisan, it was brought by senators who really, you know, rely on business travel or tourism as part of their kind of their constituency. Right. But it does beg the question, has it got that bad that government legislation is required? Well, the US is a great example of how politicians are getting involved in the visa processing issues. Mm. But it's not just about legislation. It's also about actively tweaking the rules so that the relaxed rules can help speed up the process. Right. Like the China example you explained in your Near Horizons section, making applications clearer and simpler would also help the process. I mean, I imagine kind of legislation takes its time. And even if it's kind of supported by either side of the political debate, it needs to go through due process and it needs to go through kind of all of those steps to, to actually become effective. Whereas the sooner or more immediate would be small tweakings to existing process to make it easier absolutely which yeah I, I mean i get that but so we can understand what individuals can do to be better prepared to submit an application or always get things correct complete the entire form make sure that you're submitting everything that you need to submit first you know in the first instance and we also can see that government interventions or political interventions or departmental interventions to try and help with the problem but what can travel managers do? Well, it feels like I'm repeating myself over the years because it's it's actually the same answer as I would have provided <laughs> to the same question a few years ago. So one of the most helpful things a travel manager can do is to be better prepare the travelers and manage their expectations. Yeah. This could be working backwards from a worst-case scenario in processing times, letting the business know of the countries that are experiencing real delays so they can plan accordingly and not the least share that information with us. I mean, we've seen this over the years. If it hasn't been kind of this post-pandemic, you know, return to travel, it's been other things. There could be geopolitical things causing delays, right? But it's, yep. it's actually the same answer I've said many times before. <laughs> but it really is kind of preparation, management of expectations, doing all of those things, and then really advocating for better processes. I mean, 
In the summer of this year, I attended the GBTA Legislative Summit in Washington, D.C., where we were discussing the cost of people queuing at immigration once you've got your visa. So, you know, you've gone through the process, you've gone through any delays that you needed to do. But the cost of then landing at a U.S. destination and waiting in line at immigration, I think the... um, U.S. Economic Committee has calculated that it's somewhere in the region of about $5 billion per year impact to the U.S. economy, just people queuing. Then if you kind of think, well, actually, so many people can't even get the visa in the first place to arrive at the airport. Like, It almost seems like that figure would be enormously higher and almost impossible to, to calculate. Yeah, there's, there have been different attempts to calculate it, but I mean, in the beginning of the year, many countries saw 8, 10, 12 months waiting time to get an appointment at the U.S. consulate, yeah. And if you ask one of my peers, uh, who also went to the U.S. the other day as myself, yeah. he was waiting three and a half hours. Uh, in line at, in line, at, yeah. the, at the end. And I was waiting 15 minutes. It really it really depends on the yep. day, on the time of day, which airport. It's It's impossible to predict. But I mean, there have been industry bodies that are trying to you know, doing just that. I mean, less than a year ago, consular wait times had skyrocketed to hundreds of days in some cases, right? Yeah. And especially in India, it's still a major problem, it's, actually. It's, yeah. it's 2025, next appointment. The U.S. Travel Association did estimate at the time that these waiting times would cost the U.S. economy about 11.6 billion U.S. dollars in lost tourist and visitor revenue. And the power of that data is really key. Yeah. So... I would say one thing we would welcome is if travel managers and TMCs share data with us. In that case, we could better be equipped to advocate on your behalf or our client's behalf. Travel managers are used to having to calculate return of investment, i.e., you know, what was the travel worth the cost? Yeah, so like I'm, you know, it's costing this much to to go somewhere. Right. What did we get from that? I mean, and this year again with the spend, it's been we we heard travel managers mentioning right about the summertime, they'd already spent 70% of this year budget. And it was not even seven months in, it was just six months in. And that's just a combination of everything being more expensive. Right, yeah. Part of this would be finding ways to demonstrate just how the delays not only cost the business, yeah, but the ongoing impacts to the economics of countries of this nation, I would say. Well, I mean, it's just fascinating. There's so much literature at the moment and opinion pieces around return on investment has to now expand, you know, be return on experience, be return on, you know, possibly you could say return on impact, you know, and this is a kind of key part of that. So, you know, the world economy is shifting, business and tourism being seen as kind of economic drivers in many countries. So it would seem that getting to grips with data to help support an argument that things need to get better would be just hugely useful. Absolutely. I mean, we've set up the, the Ford leadership and advocacy function to do just that. Yeah. But the more immediate win is better planning, as mm-hmm. referred to before. Working with us as CBT to manage the expectations of the traveler. Yeah. Give accurate visa acquisition timeframe, particularly in those countries that have historical backlogs and lots of noise. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and better equip all business to transact their business with the certainty that they will get their visas as soon as possible. And we talk about this a lot. Carson and I have a tendency to always talk about what brings certainty and certainty is kind of a combination of managing expectation of the travelers understanding what's going on in that particular country of destination 
what the impact will be to that individual traveler. And that's always going to be based on nationality. And then kind of that bringing that into some form of equation, how do you achieve certainty? Data has to be in there as well, I, I suppose. Yes. So, you know, how do we help our clients? You know, this is a complex issue. It's not just about acquiring a visa. It's about navigating so many different hurdles. So what do, what do we at CIBT do? Well, we do have um, a solution called premium processing. Yep. I mean, CIBT visas is premium service is offering our highest level of support throughout the visa submission process. It provides quality checks every step of the way to help you get your visa application right the first time. And also our comprehensive services tailored specifically to meet your individual needs offer that ultimate convenience. And you can rest easy knowing that the global leader in navigating visa and travel document complexities is taking care of your needs and will be updated along the way as you like because you get a dedicated consultant as well. Because it's back to that kind of management of expectation. Yeah. That's... I'd rather know now that I have to wait a year to get a appointment at the U.S. consulate somewhere than, than finding out in three months' time. Yep. Tell me up front and, and I'll plan accordingly. I mean, it's not great news, but... But I, think, I mean, I think it's really interesting when when you consider that those who are transacting business at the front end, they are not going to expect the kind of travel managers or TMC or visa consultants to say, actually, it's going to take you a year to get an appointment. They're going to need something kind of yesterday. So that management of expectation is is just crucial, isn't it? To it is. And, and if you look at our current footprint, where the passport holders in those countries typically have a very strong passport. Yes. So I, d- I didn't grow up thinking about visas much, right? Because I'm fortunate no. to have a European yeah, passport. Absolutely. And when I entered the industry, I didn't even know much about visas. My only visa was a visa on arrival to Egypt yep. as a tourist. But as we enter more and more countries where the passport rank yep. ranks lower on the scale, so to speak, we would see also that many of the applicants there are more used to this. And actually their expectations might be slightly different than those in for European or US traveler with who, strong passports. Who have passports that enable them to either have a visa waiver or on arrival or, or something that they can do, kind of hop on a plane. Right. As the world economy is shifting and different countries are more attractive to different organizations to either explore opportunities or, you know, the world economic shift is also going to lead to more scratching of heads. Why can't we go to country A when two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, we very easily entered country B and we were able to transact business very quickly. And, you know, what is the difference? And I think that's something that travel managers and TMCs are going to get a lot more questions about as we enter this period of kind of long delays to, to acquire well, some de- visas. Definitely. I remember when I started, I did my first months and years as a visa consultant in Denmark. We had countries that would almost accept the back of a napkin application. It's not, not exactly <laughs> that, but they were, they were quite flexible. And if one consulate from a particular country wouldn't accept, you could send it to another city. But at the time, yeah. it didn't really matter which passport you had. I mean, as long as it was a European passport, you could apply mm-hmm. anywhere. Then over the years, rules changed and it became much more structured. You had to typically apply in the country that you're paying tax. It, it in also exceptions, but yep. that kind of application process became more strict over the years, and it's just become more and more strict. So the countries where you do need to apply a visa to, for visas still, that's getting more difficult. And then you have a lot of countries that have waived 
that whole thing, right? And made visa on arrival, or even introduced e-visas, which is typically a little bit of a lighter process. Mm. Uh, I mean, we a colleague at CIBT calculated that 70% of e-visas that exist today have been introduced since 2020. Right. So I'm going to shout out to Andrew, one of my colleagues who gave me that information earlier in the week. But it really is fascinating to see how the world has shifted in such a short space of time to electronic digital pathways, consulars and application centres struggling to kind of restaff. The Great Resignation impacted all industries and consulars and embassies are not without or application centres are not No, and there's a, a cost combined with having large number of staff representing your country in a, in a, in a given other country, right? Yeah. And if you look at a lot of the younger nations around the world... They've typically skipped the paper visa step. They just went straight to e-visas, yep. which has been probably, you know, hopefully for, for their, those countries, more attractive for foreigners to, to get to. Exactly that. I mean, making it easier is kind of part of the economic revitalization of a country post-pandemic. Yep. You know, clearing the pathways digitally. I mean, obviously, there have been examples in the last six months where some of those online platforms haven't worked optimally. So Peru... Brazil, France, these are countries where the online application systems kind of faltered or went down for a while and that kind of suboptimal performance leads to other delays. But in the main, kind of moving to digital pathways is a ploy or a play by countries to attract more, make it easier, make it simpler, make it freer to, to do something. But that doesn't help when there are just huge delays to then get appointments and navigating that kind of difficult terrain of I can make an online application, but do I need an appointment? It's There's so many things that you need to consider. So, I mean, I suppose if we were to summarize, it's kind of, I think you said it's a complex tapestry. It's struggles to rebound after, after what's happened over the last few years, increase in volume, that kind of need and urge to travel. The great news that travel spending is on the rise um, it's going to look like we're going to get to 2019 levels sooner than we expected. And yet, in so many countries, there are delays that seem almost unconscionable at the moment to transact business quickly. And this isn't a podcast of selling, but there are solutions. You know, part of that is kind of going to the experts and finding out how you can navigate that terrain in a way that suits you and your business. Absolutely. And, it, and it's, a, it's a world where things changed with moments notice sometimes right yeah. i mean what was the what were the rules this morning might not be the rules this afternoon absolutely so it's really as, as you said about navigating that and and go to professionals to figure out how to do it and again work with us to plan ahead yeah because we can work with you to kind of figure out where you see you're going like say you're is a company that's building a new factory in country x yep and you're bringing some supervisors or managers there in the beginning to train local staff, you typically would know that in advance. You're not opening that factory tomorrow, right? Yeah. If you work with us, let's say, three to six months ahead, we can help you try to navigate that and make sure that you have the right people on the ground. And it's this exactly the same with football teams. We've seen <laughs> yeah. examples of football players not getting their visas in due time, right? And they're missing the, the match. And I love the fact that you brought up football because it counters my musicals of the Broadway stage and world cinema of the 1950s. But it really is, it's, a, it's an issue that affects everyone. If you require a visa, almost in every industry, if you're going to a country and you're a certain nationality, it's going to have an impact. Yeah. 
Carsten, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this, but I actually really want to spend some more time with you, maybe in another podcast, talking about your career and what lessons you've learned along the way. I mean, do you promise to return to the Open World podcast for I'd, another session? I'd be delighted, Ray. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. Uh, well, no, honestly, thank you, Carsten, for being brave enough to be my first guest on the podcast. And I really will look forward to seeing you again. Listeners, that brings us, I think, to the end of our first Open World. Thank you to Carsten for being brave enough to join me. My colleagues also at CIBT Newland Chase were working behind the scenes in producing, what are we going to call this, this this foray into the changing world of immigration and travel. And also a huge thank you to you for listening. Safe travels, friends, and see you soon. Mm -hmm.